Thank you. Um, right now, I just I wanted to start off with with one question, and Hasita, you touched on it a little bit right now about the internal work, right, that needs to be done uh, within our communities, and then also I think uh, Pamela, whenever you mentioned, like in in some spaces, there's a there's like a competition for who's the most oppressed, right? Um, but then like like whenever I heard that of of like the internal work, I just wanted to see if maybe the other two panelists have anything else to add around that, or if I think that you wanted to expand on that a little bit. To me, it's very clear that we need um, more political education and decolonizing work within our communities. Um, and uh, that's where it leads to understanding a lot of the anti-blackness, anti-queer, anti-Islamic, and you go on the road of, of um, there's very hard conversations we need to have with our people that I feel are not being had. Um, I, I think about my own work with um, a lot of youth um, you, you would think, we forget that so much, we carry so much weight, so much of our parents' history, so much of that, inter like as a Dominican, I can say like antianismo, like coming from, from the island itself, like <laughs> I can go on and on how anti-blackness plays out in the Dominican community, right? And to me, understanding not the, only the violence against my body in, in, in those ways, the violence against everybody else in my community hurts and it's very traumatic and, it's, and you know you understand you have to, to go through that process, but at the same time, what if you're, not, you're just ignoring it all together? So, um, as Asinda said, if we're not even, there are spaces, we have to remember there are spaces that the conversations are not even being ha had. And we have to be very mindful of that. It, it's, I think it's, it's hard to do the internal work. It brings up the really hard conversations. Um, we had a, a conversation at our first Mi Gente gathering around what it means to be pro-black. Um, and for us to address as a Latinx community what it means to be multiracial, right? Because it's not like Latino means one thing. Um, you have white Latinos, you have black Latinos, you have indigenous Latinos, and most of us have a little bit of a mix. And so being able to have those conversations openly is the first, but you can't have those conversations if you're not doing organizing, right? That's, that's the thing to me is if you're not doing organizing, I mean, it's, you can have them with your family, you can have them with your friends, but they're not building power if, you're not, if they're not connected to campaigns and they're not connected to organizing and they're not connected to movement. And so it's both about not having the conversations, but it's also about not building grassroots power that's actually trying to move an agenda. So we have to be able to do both at the same time. It's a lot, but they don't call it the struggle for nothing. Um, and I, I think also it's, it's about being able to take some risk and also knowing that like, we're not gonna win by convincing people. Like, yes, we're convincing people, but it's a fight. So I mean, even the conversations that were coming up in the morning about like, whether you call it fix it or nix it or this or that, like, we can have conversations about framing until we're like, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. But if we're not talking about like, what is the strategy to move it, we're, we're gonna be caught up in the same routine. So yes, framing matters because Freedom is connected to that, and how we build up matters. But it's also about actually, you know, it's our duty to win. So it's it's doing both at the same time. I think. Um, next question is: 
how can we collaborate uh, with, with other movements? Uh, and then what is also like the benefit of collaborating and aligning? If Black Lives Matter wins, we all win. If Black Lives Matter wins, we all win. That has been my clearest point of understanding. Um, as I said, I have seen how inclusive the Black Lives Matter movement is, and we need to understand um, so much of all that we are is already within the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't feel we need to rebuild many things. Many things are there. It's just how we really stick to something and run with it. So that's where, that's the biggest collaboration I can see. And centering Black Lives Matter in more of our work and also um, understanding that this oppressive system is, is in it for all of us. So we have to be in it, all of us. I, I think opportunities for collaboration come up a lot in, in the work. I think we do have to first figure out the connections. I think within this context, there's a lot of connections around um, the criminal justice system and around DHS and the expansion of militarization. So I think those issues connect many, many communities. So it's just a question of, of being able to get people in the same room. We're talking, I, I, I was just talking to someone about like taking on really hard cases with criminal, like deportation cases with hard record. And it's like, yeah, the, but the first thing we always have to do is have face-to-face -face conversations with each other as human beings. So I think part of it is the abstract work, but it's also just making sure that we have opportunities where people can connect to one another and understand each other's experiences and fight from there. All right, and one more question and then we'll open it up for questions from the audience. Um, so then another very important thing in our work, of course, is accountability, right? Um, so I'm hoping you all can share a little bit about uh, the importance of being accountable within our movements, but then also how can we be accountable to each other's movements? Um, a lot of the accountability to me um, and what I understand about it comes in all the ways that we show up in the spaces that we're in, right? And, um, and then how do we go after the system that oppresses us and the system that deems us as less humane, who takes away our dignity? Um, first, within, um, we, we, we know that there's a lot of competing stuff within, within all these spaces and all these movements. Um, okay, there's a lot of competition. There's this issue today, immigration, as I said, give me my, um, right, uh, working for immigrant rights, um, taught me a lot, has teach me, teaches me a lot every day. But it's like we're piecemealing everything. We are piecemealing everything. We tend to separate. We tend not to go in it for everyone. We tend to do so much within the immigrant rights movement and leave people out. 500,000 of, of the immigrants in this country are, are black, undocumented immigrants um, who, who, don't, who, who live in the shadows. 
a lot of, as we said, we're in a space where we understand what the definition of criminality has become, and we're starting to piecemeal what criminality is, too. So, um, I lost. Okay, so accountability to me is, is being inclusive. Um, accountability to me is that piecemeal in our communities and putting our communities like they're a piece of cake. Um, accountability to me is that we're gonna fight it in for all and if we're not gonna fight it for all, then like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so that's what accountability is within a fight for all and really not separating our communities. And um, accountability without is that we're gonna go fucking shut down what we have to shut down. We're gonna use the different strategies that we're gonna use, but we're gonna get something done. So I'm, as I was telling Rocio, it's like radical, like everybody has their own definition of what radical is and what collaboration is. It's gonna come about, we're gonna get things done. I know we can get a lot of things done, but if we're, um, when it comes down to it, if we're really not aligned in one way or another, we really have to align. So like, that's why I said that my alignment right now is Black Lives Matter. And I understand that Black Lives Matter does have an inclusive um, framework. Um, I, would say, I, I would say it on two levels. I think there's the conversations that we have to have internally with movement family, if you wanna say. Um, where we all have to lean into difficult conversations and push each other and be able to, to work out um, how to have that inclusive frame. I think, you know, as a white Latina, there's a lot of stuff that I have to be called into in terms of conversations, in terms of being, you know, straight and cis. There's a lot of conversations. So I think it's, it's constantly being able to, to have those together. I think sometimes we talk about accountability when we're talking about some of the bigger... Um, organizations or movements that are out there that might not share the politics that we're trying to push. Sometimes I think, yeah, we should hold them accountable. And sometimes I'm like, yes, let's, let's beat them. We just have to out-organize them. We just have to be bigger and better and faster and kind of crush them. Um, because we're, it's not like we're going to have a, you know, come to Jesus moment with like a lot of the mainstream folks that are just trying to push a particular agenda. We just have to push ours a little bit faster and be able to build a little bit more power than them. Um, because if we're still waiting for that moment, you know, people are always gonna try to capitalize off of our movements. I'm in the immigrant rights movement, I was talking about it in the panel today. It's really frustrating to now watch all these people be like, DAPA, DAPA, that we're the same people that, you know, two or three years ago were like, oh no, it's about immigration reform, let's not talk about deportations. And now they're like, oh no, it's, it's about DAPA, don't talk about deportations. It's, it's part of the replication, and yeah, some of it is about accountability, but some of it is we have to figure out how to beat them at their own game, um, because they're always going to be playing that, that game of chess, I guess. I think we have, I saw one, and then up here. Hi, um, my name is Azadan with Project South and Georgia Detention Watch. So my question was for Ines. Could you tell us um, the extent to which your brother's case fits in the larger pattern of criminalization of Muslim communities after 9-11, and also the organizing that um, family members of Muslim people in prison have been able to do? Like what work you all have done to um, come together and fight, fight together? 
I'm sorry, what was the first part? How my brother's case fits into the larger criminalization. Um, well, I mean, post 9-11, all of the cases on targeting Muslims have been using the same strategies of having an informant to seek vulnerable young Muslim men to try to then entrap them into say, saying things and just and not even having and not even needing any evidence or any sting operation or anything just by them saying something or being somewhere in the wrong place then having a, a, a white jury be able to just convict them and then have the media play the role of showing that this case is like a priority or that we're f combating terrorism. So, I mean, this is how it fits into the larger criminalizing, criminalizing of uh, Muslims. Uh, for the impacted families, um, for our work at NCPCF, what we've been doing so far is basically just trying to get in contact with other family members, other affected family members of the same cases. And we're basically still at the start level. We haven't really, I mean, just tried to like educate the, our first, our Muslim communities, which, in which have kind of distanced themselves away from like my family and other affected family members because, because of, what the media has done and what they've portrayed us as, and also our community members, um, I mean, with the FBI going to them and just scaring them away from protesting with us or doing any of that. So, I mean, our first and biggest struggle is within the community, basically, trying to educate them. Yes. Um, so this is kind of a follow-up to um, the last question um, also for Ines. Do, have you, and if you have, how have you felt um, supported um, in, in your organizing of Muslim communities? Have you, and if you have, how have you felt supported by broader movements for racial justice? Well, I mean, for my Muslim community, I'm from South Jersey, so the greater Muslim communities in Philadelphia, I haven't really... We, we haven't really had much support from them, so we are still kind of working on educating them that this is something that, you know, didn't just happen, to, isn't just gonna stop at, from us. It's going to be, if we don't speak up, it's going to spread to all of our young men. So we haven't really had much support. And also I was wondering, and I don't know if you wanna share this, but where is your brother and what kind of time is he facing? Um, He's in Terre Haute, Indianapolis right now, and he's serving a life sentence along with the other four um, co-defendants. Hello. Okay. <laughs> My name is Jamila Hamami, and I'm with uh, the Queer Detainee Empowerment Project in New York City. So I have two um, questions. Um, so in terms of, I do agree with you, um, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and how it should be centered, I think a fear that I have as someone who identifies as a Muslima is how Islam is being um, actually focused on within the movement. So I'd like to hear you speak more about that. And then in terms of all three of you um, as women on the panel, I feel 
as if misogyny plays such a huge role in the work that we do and marginalizing women from being a part of it. Yeah, snap, because it's real. Um, to the point that we're right now working on a campaign in New York City called Women Fight Ice because it's been such an issue for there to be spaces for women and children to be organizing. Can you speak more about your experience with that and your feelings around figuring out ways to combat that in your own communities and nationally? Because I feel like that's something that we all as women and gender nonconforming people and transgender women <laughs> all face on a regular basis. Thank you. That was a lot, I'm sorry. Like any other movement, we have our challenges and as I said, we're gonna face um, what I do see, um, at least coming from Florida, and um, understanding that the cross-movement work we do, a Dream Defenders, um, a Black Lives Matter, and all the, the cha different chapters, um, we, we are very intentional in our communities about talking about um, Palestine, talking about um, doing a lot of that like education piece. Um, I, I do feel that we still have a long way to do, and as you say, how, how it's being addressed, it, it may, may not be going the right way. And that's why I, I, I say that it's, we do need, um, we need to center Black Lives Matter more space, because that's gonna create that check and balance kind of uh, system that, that, that needs to happen, you know? And um, especially since we are so inclusive, especially since like we all have our internalized, since we all have all these things that we have um, as oppressed people <laughs> have, to, have to tackle it. Um, I feel um, like I, I, I come from Tampa. We have a huge um, Muslim community in Tampa. And um, I'm grateful because at least like there, like we do have like most, uh, a, a large part of the Muslim community that's a member of our Black Lives Matter chapters. And we're very intentional about like checking each other out, right? So uh, that check-in process needs to happen. That's all kind of what I, uh, yeah. Um, just to talk a little bit about the misogyny part. Um, I mean, one, it's it's going back to the internal conversations within our communities that just have to happen. Um, one of the things that's just really interesting, especially when you're talking about uh, electoral politics or issues like that, a lot of times, especially within the Latinx community, where folks start to s try to go a little bit more to the right is around reproductive justice issues and um, women's rights issues. And so that that's a huge uh, flag that we have to have and why it has to be such an important part of the conversation. The flip side of that is it's really inspiring in movements right now to see such strong women leadership. Um, and it's been really, yeah, just beautiful and inspiring and like, let's kick ass. Um, and at the same time, seeing that how in the mainstream, that's part one of the main issues of how folks are attacked, right? Um, and how folks are discredited. Um, Recently, I participated in a direct action against Donald Trump in Arizona. And I was blown away that the number one way that I was like pushed back on from the right was around like just objectification, just all of the sexualization, all of those like deeply misogynistic um, threats, right? And my mother even just called me and she was like, if you were a guy, they just want to kill you, but now they want to rape and kill you. Right, and so just really being able to like have that come to the surface and understand as movements a little bit what we were talking about before, both as like 
organizers and communities that are willing to push back, how we figure out, one, how to have the internal conversations, two, how we have the public conversations, but how we also help create structures that um, support folks that are putting themselves in those positions because the, the blowback and the pushback is, is real and has an extra violent edge to it. All righty. Thank you very much to the panelists. Um, and thank you very much to a captive audience as well. Um.